Welcome to the Obsession Digression, a podcast that explores all of the cultural thing- things that obsess us. I'm Sam Benarchik, and I'm Katie Walker. And I've already started out by messing up our intro. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen, eight episodes for that to happen. I, I think know it's a pretty good. Well, run. this was my this was my first time off script though, Sam. So yeah, the computer is closed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just wing it. <laughs> So how do you feel? This is our last Lynch episode. What are what are go- what's going through your mind right now? Uh, more just surprise that we made it this far. <laughs> that we, didn't that we kill completed each other. a full season. Oh, that reminds me. All right, so I, you were away at a conference. I had to text you like five or six things in a row. Mm-hmm. You were understandably very busy with your actual <laughs> professional development and your re- real career, mm-hmm. and you didn't respond, but I was like, oh, God, I'm being really annoying right now. No. And that night, I had a dream that you were really pissed off at me, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm not kidding when I say this. We had to go to, like, special podcast counseling. <laughs> oh, this should exist. <laughs> yeah. No, I woke up, and I was like, that was so stupid. And then I thought, no, that's brilliant. Like, right? Because so many people, they they brand themselves through podcasts because it's this relatively inexpensive way to get your name out there and your persona, and you do it with someone else, and you can't afford to let I mean, that relationship crumble. Yeah, exactly. If we, if your livelihood is on the line. Exactly. Katie, if we made any money from this podcast. This, Five dollars. <laughs> even. It would be, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so funny. But now I'm thinking, because, you know, I want to, like, always think about business ideas mm-hmm. like you could you could have that kind of therapy business between podcasters but also newscasters and co-actors mm-hmm. um and like <laughs> david lynch or and you know who does he not get along with there's somebody was it mark no he gets along no, with mark Frost. Okay. somebody though that he like who didn't he get had along a falling with? out with I don't remember all of his yeah uh, every woman that he ever met. <laughs> <laughs> so we could we could start this. We should just get our training in yeah podcast counseling and make so much. All more right, money. next up, you of Phoenix. We're gonna bank those <laughs> online credits. <laughs> Take us three weeks. Mm-hmm. Just wait. And two thousand dollars, and uh, we'll be even further in the hole than we are now. Oh, but. We have. Uh, we're also on the other side of a big milestone. So our website is now up and running. This is true. Theobsessiondigression.com, hosted the by Squarespace. Digression. Hopefully, they'll now know about us. Want to be our? <laughs> want to be our sponsor? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't sponsor them. That's right. Well, I feel so podcasty because Squarespace is like the big sponsor for S Town mm-hmm. and for Serial, and so a all lot the of, Slate podcasts. Yeah, yeah, a lot of podcasts that I admire. Call are your from, girlfriend, my favorite murder. Oh yeah, so that's many. true. I know. So we are, we're joining a community through Squarespace. Yeah, Squarespace um, still doesn't know we've joined, nor no, do any of those other podcasts. But no, but S Town is going to find there. out about us. Like that invisible <laughs> set of footprints on the beach. <laughs> We're there. <laughs> we, we're coming. We're coming. <laughs> um, so, no, that's right. So, theobsessiondigression.com, just, you know, mm-hmm. it's hard to spell. And I admittedly have misspelled it in our browser, in my browser a few times. Um, but you get the hang of it, though. You do. Ill muscle memory. Yeah, exactly. Well, and now it remembers it, too. Theobsessiondigression at gmail.com. And... Email us. Now that we have released the first six episodes... There is an actual possibility that someone might email us. 
That's right? really exciting. Well, we could find out what you read in seventh grade, right? Oh because God. now we have Dare people. to dream. Oh, man. <laughs> I actually think about that on a weekly basis now. <sighs> so, so, yeah, email us with possible book titles of the book I read. Email us with things we got wrong or oh, trivia yeah. or interesting facts about David Lynch or these movies that we didn't touch on. And we can record some sort of follow-up episode. Um, also, requests for yeah, other great. things that you maybe are obsessed with that we perhaps should be obsessed with. I mean, you know, there, there are limits to that. Um, but... Yeah, we have veto power. Yeah, we have we have total veto power. It's not contractually binding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say that because... Um, I only say the thing about limits is because... Uh, so this weekend I was at a conference, but right next to our conference <laughs> there was a furry convention. So do you know what a furry mm-hmm. is? It's I'm familiar. A, a person who dresses up um, for, I mean, not necessarily sexual reasons, but oh, usually, really? well, it's just like, it's kind of a lifestyle thing too. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of like courtship processes around like um, adopting that behavior in certain ways or like occupying your furry or your costumes persona and melding the two. So you're really embodying it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so you can't, it's not interchangeable. Like not any one costume will do like you, you sort of select one as a, as a sort of persona or identity. I don't think so. Yeah. I do think that it's like more interesting. Maybe we could get obsessed with (laughs) it. Maybe. We should record, we should choose our own and then record in our own costumes. Maybe, but I would just be a pug, so it would be really <laughs> weird. Um, Lady McPug would be very confused. Um, so, I mean, maybe the, the you know, lesson, the object lesson of this conversation is, you know, if you write a compelling enough email, you might talk us into something. This is true. This is true. I mean, yeah, so you're going to talk today about Mulholland Drive. Well, we're both going to talk about well, Mulholland Drive. that's what I meant. The last film on the David Lynch train. <laughs> Not the last film he's made, but the we're going to sort of hang up our hats here and uh and move on depart from the lynchian universe Mm -hmm. but before you talk about the production of maholland drive is what i should have said yes uh i'm going to talk just very very briefly about what we missed out on great um so we have lost highway for example we did not cover that in part because it's kind of similar at least in the way that Lynch is playing with time to Mulholland Drive. So I feel like if I... Mulholland Drive is a better version of Lost Highway in some ways. Yeah, right? I mean, we could even say that too about like Inland Empire. Like in some ways, these constitute yeah. a sort of like thematic LA trilogy. And so right. we're at least saying that Mulholland <laughs> Drive is going to sort of stand for all three. Yeah, and, well, and plus, I mean, we're going to talk about this a little bit more too, but Mulholland Drive is just cultural critics love this movie they are so obsessed i think i mean there are a few um who claim it to be like the best movie of the 21st century so far which i think is it's a bit of a stretch but um you know it certainly is very interesting etc i could be talked into that into this is the best yeah maybe yeah okay there are movies i like more from the 21st century but this is really good okay good um (laughs) 
good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm monitoring your taste now. Well, I'm surprised. I mean, I, I have no predictions for your taste ever mm-hmm. since you um, dissed street stories. So I just, I can't even also, gauge. When I, I'm so sorry. I'm going to let you get back to your summary. Mm-hmm. But when I was editing the straight story episode mm-hmm. after we recorded, it suddenly dawned on me, wait, he has to get back. <laughs> <laughs> he has to ride that lawnmower back home. That just home. makes me... Any goodwill that you got me to sort of invest in that film just evaporated in that moment. <laughs> I mean, he has a whole other host of people he's got to help on his way back. That's the mm. that's the goal. He's just a wise Ugh. old man Ugh. traveling about, you know. So, Richard Farnsworth. So yeah, that's that's part of why we skipped over those films, and I just think it would be overkill, right, to talk about Inland Empire, um, Lost Highway in kind of in a full episode. We've also got Lynch's collaboration, or he calls it sound image experiment, where he puts images and film yeah. to a Duran Duran concert, which guess, is really yeah. unexpected. Like it's I. Because in part, like, I, I tend to associate Lynch with classier musicians, if that makes sense. So, like, I, I tend to consider, like, Julie Cruz to be not, like, pop, right? Whereas, like, Duran Duran <laughs> is pop. But can we think back to all of the performances in his movies of just the breathy 80s pop singer? <laughs> true, true. And we have this again in a weird way in this movie today. I think it's because Badalamenti ups the taste level. Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. Thank you yeah. for making me smart. Um, <laughs> no, it's true that like Badalamenti has this kind of creative energy. So even in Lost Highway when he does use pop music. So Lost Highway even has um, the opening by David Bowie song, and then it has Marilyn Manson um, and, like, these more popular rock songs, but enfolded in a very creative way, whereas the Duran Duran concert is just that with, like, very beautiful filmic stretches attached to it, right? So it probably has more common than with, like, Industrial Symphony, number one, than yeah. with uh, his narrative films? Exactly, exactly. It is a fun watch. and So it's I'm, not a documentary, though. Like, we're not... There's no talking no. heads. We're not learning about... Yeah, and I okay. mean, I do like Duran Duran. They're from Oklahoma, so they're from, like, close by. I do like <laughs> their music. I'm not trying to diss them, but it is, like, unexpected in terms of what you're getting from this film, yeah. right? So there's not, like, a behind the scenes, the boys on the road type of thing. Yeah, right. So, and then he also did the, and I don't, I need to fact check this, but I don't remember if it's before or after. I think it's after Mulholland Drive. He did that brief Rabbits. Have you heard mm-hmm. of this? Yeah, that's after. Okay, that's after. Okay, so Rabbits with Naomi Watts, Laura Haring, and somebody else. I don't remember who the dude is. But they all have rabbit heads and say ridiculous things that don't quite respond to each other. And they're in a very, like, sure. close close set. So, and that's available online, so you can check that out. Cool. And that's, that's it. That's what Lynch has been up to. Yeah, really. because we could summarize Inland Empire, but how would you even begin to do yeah. that? <laughs> it's a long movie, folks. Mm-hmm. It's, it's long. A- it's early digital cam technology. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a few bigger fans of Laura Dern than me, um, and she's but. awesome. But it's a it's a, a a real rough movie to get through. 
And I accidentally bought the Korean version. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We should post a picture of the cover. <laughs> so I had to, I could only watch it on one DVD player in my house. Um, so, and it had Korean subtitles, so I had to like, you know, but it was in English, thankfully, so I could, I could still watch it. Yeah, it's like a difficult enough film that when you have one more obstacle, you're like, <laughs> just no, not today. I, I right. thought I was ready. I'm not ready. <laughs> I have to burp. Do it. <clears throat> Was that it? Yeah, Seriously? it sort of broke apart in the oh, chest, and I, I just breathed it out. That. I hate it's when, anticlimactic. Like, you don't have like the big like, you know, operatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, burp it's like an opportunity need. to really like announce yourself. And oh, and sneezes too are like if you don't sneeze when you when you, you need yeah, yeah. to, you know, and you're like, oh, oh, then you're just sort of like pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true though. Is this true for everyone or just me that if I look up or look at a light? I can, like, trigger a sneeze. I've never tried that. Oh. Um, oh, I guess when I was a kid, I thought, no, no, you have to already be like, I feel sick. Oh. <laughs> no, it's like, not at will. <laughs> I immediately looked yeah. up. <laughs> I'm going to talk a little bit more about the production history of Mulholland Drive. As we discussed last week, um, really with the exception of Twin Peaks, David Lynch did not have much luck with television. Mm-hmm. So by the mid-90s, he had a pretty bad track record with ABC. And after the failure of his show titled On the Air, which we played a clip of last episode, right. he dramatically and, and famously painted a piece of plywood to say, quote, I will never work in television again. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Mulholland Drive was originally filmed as a TV pilot. Yeah. This is in 1999, two years before its theatrical release. Lynch, he's working with television writer Joyce Eliezer, or Eliezer. They want to create a spinoff to Twin Peaks in which Audrey Horn, played by Sherilyn Fenn in the show, Mm -hmm. goes to L.A. So they eventually abandon this idea and any explicit connection between the two storylines. But I think there's clear like Twin Peaks vibe. Oh yeah. Particularly definitely. in the film's earlier scenes. Yeah. Um, which this original intention might explain. Mm-hmm. Right. We have Michael Anderson sitting in yeah, another curtained red room right. and yeah. Exactly. Well in the box too, I yeah, feel like right. it's very Twin Peaksy. Yeah, yeah, especially since this is the key in the box following this ring mythology that we get in Firewalk right. with me where like these magical objects become more and more significant for uh, for yeah. Lynch. Yeah, definitely. So anyway, Lynch pitches ABC the project and they agree to fund a two-hour pilot under the condition that if the show doesn't go to series, Disney, that's ABC's parent company, can release it as a film. So Lynch agrees and he films a two-hour and eight-minute version of a uh, two-hour and eight-minute pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, that's way too much for a two-hour time slot because they need to allot a bunch of that time to commercials. Oh, sure. But it doesn't matter because ABC hates it anyway. (laughs) So Lynch and Mary Sweeney, just to save their project, they try to cut it down to 88 minutes. Still, despite a number of efforts to recut the film, ABC hates it so much they don't even bother to release it as a film, let alone as a TV series. What jerks? Well, among the reasons that ABC rejects it, and this is a rumor, it's unsubstantiated, but they feel that Naomi Watts and Laura Herring are too old. Yeah. No. Watts at the time of filming this is thirty. Yeah. And Herring is thirty-four. Well, so. <laughs> that's that's Hollywood for you, you jerks. That means our window is closing. Oh yeah, we only have. We've like got to get cast three quick. months. <laughs> yeah. We have three months to get famous. <laughs> so it looks like ABC is just going to shelve this forever, and we'll never see it. 
Fortunately, a year later, Canal Plus. I never. Do you call them Canal Plus or Canal Plus? Because I I think they're they're French. Maybe they're UK.、Oh. I never know. But they buy the footage from ABC, and they work with Lynch to mold the footage into a theatrical release.、Mm-hmm. So Lynch combines the now 88 minute long cut with pieces of an original filmed ending that were part of that contingency plan, right? If ABC releases as a movie, so there'd、right. be closure. And combines that with additional scenes. So he recalls a bunch of cast members, and they spend nine days filming new scenes. So now Naomi Watts is thirty-two, and she's like,、Ugh. "I'm too old." Yeah, <laughs> ABC's like, <laughs> "We can't even bring ourselves to look at you."、Um, so from these three like stockpiles,、um, the, he cobbles together Mahon Drive as we know it, and he brings on Badalamenti. Yay! The score. Yes. Lynch was not the only one in suspense about the future of Mulholland Drive. Justin Thoreau, who plays the film director,、mm-hmm. who's like cheated on. Yeah. He had passed on Kevin Williamson's buzzy TV pilot called Wasteland, a star on Mulholland Drive. Oh, poor so, guy. So Kevin Williamson, famous screenwriter of the Scream movies,、mm-hmm. of Dawson's Creek. So it's it's a big deal at this time to work with him. He passes. So when ABC. Shelves Mulholland Drive and then gives that show Wasteland a primetime TV oh, spot. Yeah, Thoreau thinks he's made the completely wrong decision. Oh yeah, even would... though as it turns out that show only they only air like a few episodes and then they cancel it. Okay, so so he he's、yeah. justified eventually, but yeah.、Um, also though, this was Naomi Watts' first starring role. Really? Yeah. I I I always thought that she was kind of like. I guess just I know, around. I, in the I did too. She's in a bunch of random movies, but it's like smaller roles or like、okay. just like not good movies.、Mm-hmm. So, like her character, she was new to LA. She'd moved from Australia just before she got this role. Okay.、Um, and between filming and the movie's release, so between that two-year gap, she had lost her health insurance. She、no. had fallen behind on her rent and was being threatened with eviction. Jeez. Yeah. So she decides to give up on Hollywood. That. She just can't hack it. She's gonna give up on acting and move back to Australia, when her close friend Nicole Kidman,、mm-hmm. of course, yeah, sits because, her down. Because like everyone in Australia knows each <laughs> other. <laughs> <They> are, yep. <laughs> Hugo Weaving was there. Guy Pearce showed up. She says she tells Naomi like, "Why don't you just sit on the decision until the film's released? Just like hang on and see what happens,、mm-hmm. and the rest is history."、Yay. So when it comes out, it's met with pretty rapturous acclaim. Both Lynch and Watts receive num- numerous accolades, and so. Watts then has much less trouble getting film roles after that. Okay, good. And the film also scored Lynch his first Oscar nomination since Blue Velvet back、Ooh. in 1987. So it's been what? Fif- almost 15 years. Oh my gosh, that's、yeah. a ton of time to. I mean, and he has a lot of movies in between that, right? So. Yeah, no one was rewarding him for,、uh, you know. Oh. Firewalk with me or Lost Highway. <laughs> <laughs> I reward you, David Lynch. <laughs> For firewalk with me, I made you a medal, but you haven't come to get it. You、yet. can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we just turn to the movie then? Let's do it. And so I think this should be the biggest disclaimer, which is that oh, so many spoilers. There's no way to puzzle this out without spoiling everything. That was not my disclaimer. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but there is、uh, that stands. Yeah, just that no one has unlocked this film. There is not like one. Like straight up interpretation of it, right? And、mm-hmm. so that's why people love it, obviously. And so we're just offering like yeah, mini、take. readings. We're、yeah. not we're not pros at this one because and, or at any of them, but 
especially this one because it's so complex. Well, we haven't compared notes, so it may be the case that we have very different takes. Yeah, maybe. For instance, you may feel that it's uh, Beatles who are... Uh, causing the whole thing. Oh, <laughs> yes, I still feel that. <laughs> Beatles attacked. Guys, that's from the Blue Dead. Velvet episode. Yeah, go check it you out. You had to be there. <laughs> um, uh, or that these characters are slowly turning into giant worms. <laughs> <laughs> from our Doom Dune episode, yes. <laughs> the Doom episode. Doom, yeah, well. <laughs> so the, the movie opens with a sort of strange like old-timey montage or a sort of overlay of images of sort uh-huh. of just it looks almost like clip art <laughs> or yes. like well, it's common people... access art or something of people dancing yeah, and doing they're, they're the doing jitterbug the jitterbug exactly but did you notice sam like in this opening scene there there are a lot of figures just dancing about right mm-hmm. but actually it's like the same four people <laughs> I didn't notice. Yeah. I was like, wait, they're like superimposed mm-hmm. over each other, overlays, etc. But no, actually, it's like it's just like a four few people. people. <laughs> they just got paid 20 bucks and they were sent home. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and then we cut to Mulholland Drive. Laura Herring. Yes. In a car. In a car on Mulholland Drive, which is, you know, why the movie's named that. And she's in, I guess, a car service type of thing, or is it a limo? Oh no! It's well, just it's a, it's a limo. Car. It's not a stretch limo, but it's a limo. Okay, yeah. so she's she's in a fancy setting, right? And she's used to being driven, right? It seems like she's very familiar with the people driving and mm-hmm. or just being chauffeured. Yeah. And the car stops on Mulholland Drive, and she says, "She says, what are you doing? We don't stop here." And then he pulls out a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. Fortunately, I, um, I know you did last summer is going on at the same exact time. So these asshole teenagers just <laughs> roaring down the highway. It seems like all four people in the car are are up in the sunroof. Yes. So, yeah. Unless it was a convertible. The people, like the guy driving is actually not driving. And they're yeah. just like, so these teenagers are obviously drinking, racing, driving very dangerously. And they hit the stopped car mm-hmm. um and uh they kill the the guy who was going to kill um laura herring's character and the reason that we're calling her laura herring instead of like by a character name is that she gets doesn't amnesia and she doesn't know she doesn't know it yeah so and she doesn't know that she left her pearls behind oh i know damn it but that's she did the grab cops know that someone else was there at the scene some fancy lady but she did grab that bag full of money which mm-hmm. was smart um i also liked like there were definitely girls in the other car who were killed so like couldn't one of them have ostensibly been wearing pearls no girls who like hang out of sunroofs don't wear pearls apparently. even like <laughs> 50s fusion like you couldn't see one of them in like a poodle skirt and pearls yeah i have no like, idea they just came from the soda pop place <laughs> what are those called the pop shop no corner shops i have no idea what you're talking about sam yeah the like the uh, soda oh the the soda uh, place <laughs> that's it <laughs> the drugstore like yeah 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 the store. corner the corner drugstore or something yeah, like that yeah okay i think um, it's also called a soda shop maybe not i like i like soda place better we, the soda place <laughs> um okay so so yeah and this is where um we get the pieces that are gonna bring nameless laura herring together with naomi watts mm-hmm. so laura herring wakes up she needs somewhere to stay and hide she doesn't know where who she is she's scared so she sees a woman leaving her apartment mm-hmm. 
to get into a car to go away. She's got bags packed, so it seems like she'll be gone for a while. And so she sneaks in behind the woman into her apartment before the woman closes and locks the door. Yeah. So she has a place to sort of rest up, gather herself, figure out what's going on. Except that Naomi Watts has just landed in LAX, <laughs> and she's on her way to her aunt's apartment. Yes, dun dun dun. So Naomi Watts in this opening section of the film, <laughs> or in the first two thirds, I should say, uh, is uh, she's playing this bright-eyed, so naive, so just like over-the-top, cheery, aspiring young actress named Betty Elms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she says, like, she literally does say things like "golly," yeah, and gee, yeah, <laughs> and she's just like uber uber exuberant and polite to everyone and it's it's kind of gross so after we cut from laura harring's character you know scared and alone in this apartment we cut to betty elms Mm -hmm. and we should talk about she's so nice that she has spent her entire flight just having this like chatty conversation with this old lady who's traveling (laughs) with her husband yes and can we please talk about then the like really creepy yes. thing that happens. So the old lady and her husband are traveling back home to Los Angeles. They get in their own taxi. They wave goodbye. They're like, we can't wait to see you on the screen. Yeah. And then <laughs> she's on, like, Betty. she's like, golly, I couldn't even imagine. Or she's like, wouldn't that be a dream? Yeah. Something like that. And um, then the camera follows the old people in their car mm-hmm. as they, how do you, how would you describe They're this? They're just like remaining to, like their 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 faces are frozen in a smile, that's really creepy because it's too big and it's just it's actually not just dementedly joyful expressions on their faces. Yeah, yeah, it's oh, uh, it's it's real. It's creepier than like a, a you know like a frown or like a cackling laugh. It's like way creepier than that, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm gonna argue though that that's something of a clue. We get a series of clues at a crew that are more thematic. Then they are plot clues, mm. right? That we just see like that level of happiness, that that performance of happiness has to come from some sort of demented place. Mm. Or a dream world, right? Mm. So, well, and that's, we'll get to that. So but. it's when Naomi Watts arrives at her aunt's apartment that, it's, what would you call it, apartment? Is it a house? Yeah, it's like a, it's a um, condo type Condo, of thing. Yeah. yeah. That she meets Laura Herring. Laura Herring lies because she's looking at a picture of Rita Hayworth and says mm-hmm. her name's Rita. Yeah. <laughs> but then finally confesses. She's like, JK, I don't know my name. Oh, yeah. Well, she takes a nap, which yeah. is very unsafe because she's like, her head is literally bleeding. Oh, yeah. Um, and she thinks that when she wakes up, she'll know who she yeah. actually is. Which, that's not a bad plan. I mean, I mean aside well, from like, don't, don't embrace unconsciousness if you're wounded but <laughs> like to be like maybe i'll remember after i sleep yeah that's okay true so um then we cut away from them all together yeah and we meet two characters we don't really ever see again are you talking about the guys in the I'm diner? talking about winkies winkies diner yeah, yeah. people are so mad about this scene because oh, that's people love this scene well th- that too but like they it has it just is dropped later well right? so like these are questions too is like is this a remnant of a sort of like aborted plot line that would have been explored if this had gone to series mm-hmm. or is this just like a sort of vignette that's supposed to sort of complement the right the larger narrative somehow yeah yeah who i mean would you want to talk about what happens in the scene the okay so there are two detectives right they're detectives i i know one is is the other i think they're t- 
I think, yeah. The comedian from Mad Men. Yeah. I forget his name. Um, I don't know his name either. Um, I think they're two detectives. But okay. One is describing a dream. Yeah. In which he, um, he and his partner are so, so frightened. And they're frightened by this man or being, essence, etc., who's kind of a round back, right? And so he's like, but this is a dream and I had to know, like, I had to undo the dream or like, you know, kind of counteract that dream by coming here right. with you. And so then his and partner's he has like, a dream of like catastrophe befalling the two of them by right, going there. Right. And so his partner's like, well, the logical thing to do is to confront your fears. So they walk around the corner and, um, the guy who's had the dream sees something. We see something very briefly, which is like this creepy figure, um, but we don't know if that's real or not. Because the other guy doesn't seem he to doesn't have seen, seen it. Any, he doesn't see anything. And then the guy falls dead. The guy with the dream just kind of like... Collapses. Yeah. So it's um, perhaps a commentary on like the power of these illusions within illusions to... Um, yeah. To freak yeah. you out or to be distorted like the old people. Who knows? Um, well, and we should... I, I would. We've talked about in the past how... David Lynch frequently goes to Hitchcock for inspiration. Mm -hmm. And this scene where we're like inching towards those dumpsters that are behind that brick wall. So we have this sort of brick alley with Mm -hmm. a sharp left turn. That's a direct homage to um, uh, a scene with Jimmy Stewart and the man who knew too much where um, Jimmy Stewart's walking down this fenced alley and he has to make a sharp left turn. And the whole time you're like wondering what's going to be on the turn. And so it's a sort of like wonderful um, homage scene too that oh, I like a lot. I have not seen The Man Who Knew Oh, I have much. a copy of it. Okay, I should borrow It's really this. good. <laughs> um, okay, so then we cut to, is this when we cut to? Um, Justin Thoreau? Justin Thoreau, they're, yeah. <laughs> they're meeting? Yeah. <laughs> is he meeting with like producers or the mob? I didn't. I, I think they're the mob. Okay. So, also, can I just say, you? I want you to explain this, but the whole time I was like, oh, it's Dan Hedaya. I, and my notes say, I love Dan Hedaya. Dan Hedaya is one of my favorite character actors. Dan Hedaya has the most terrifying eyes. <laughs> then finally, oh, that's not Dan Hedaya. <laughs> I love that you keep spelling out his full name, too. <laughs> I was afraid if I just wrote Dan, I wouldn't remember who I was talking about. <laughs> So that's sort of like a poor man's Dan Hedaya or a lookalike. Yeah. yeah. Aw, yeah. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so so basically, uh, this director, his first name is Adam. Do we find out his last name? Ooh, I don't remember. So his first name's Adam, whatever. Um, Played by Justin Thoreau. Justin Thoreau. Who I kept accidentally calling Justin Trudeau. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nope, it's not right. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, no, it's the guy from the leftovers, <laughs> different person. So he is a you know pretty well known director, and apparently, the mob is trying to dictate what's happening in Hollywood, mm-hmm. right? So they say, and this is the most famous line in the movie, which is, "This is the girl." Um, do you like recall mm-hmm. this kind of being picked up at various moments? So, um, they want Adam to cast a very specific girl named Camilla Rhodes into a very specific role. Um, and he's like, wait, I'm like a director. You don't have yeah. that much, you know, kind of control over, you know, this is like really impinging on my artistic freedom. Um, but they're like, no, this is, this is the girl. And so it's clear that there is this underbelly world to Hollywood. Yeah, they make it clear that if 
he does not hire mm-hmm. this actress that either the movie's going to fall through altogether or some danger will befall him. Right. Um, and his life is kind of in the crapper right now. And we can talk about Yeah, so he's so pissed off from the meeting that he just goes home unexpectedly. Yes. And this is my one of the great cameos. Lynch cameos. Um, his wife is in bed with Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> uh, when I first watched this film, I had to pause it and text. I think I texted you and a few of our other mm-hmm. friends, and I was like, oh, my God, Billy Ray Cyrus <laughs> is in a Lynch film. Just And he's he's this, uh, like, a pool cleaner or whatever. No, yeah, they call him the pool boy. Oh. And I thought, like... I know I've made ageist comments in the past. I don't mean to keep riding this train. He is way too old to be a pool oh, boy. Oh, he's, yeah. He's a pool man. He's <laughs> definitely not a pool boy. Um, but there's this great scene later where the mob is trying to find Adam, and so they come to his house, and Billy Ray Cyrus is, like, still there yeah. and gets, like, knocked out by this mobster. Yeah. So, um, but that's the extent of our Billy Ray Cyrus interaction in this yeah. film, but it's glorious. And now we see where Miley got her acting job. Yeah, exactly. What a, a tour de force. Yes. So, yeah, but Adam, um, you know, his wife is having an affair. The mob has um, basically frozen all of his assets and so he's got to like hide out and figure out what he's going to do to counteract or to deal with this mob influence yeah and this is also we just jumped over yet another sort of fragment first with the mob scene the mob go back and report to their boss and it's michael anderson in a red room so we have this weird twin peaks thing (coughs) but then we pick up with some sort of maybe casting agent who's down on his luck and not doing well, talking to someone he sees as his friend. And he's oh, telling his friend that yes. he has this like Hollywood producer's black book of all his major connections. His friend pulls out a gun, shoots him in the head. It's a silencer too. So it's yeah. Just like, and then this takes off in the, I've in the past, I've said that David Lynch does not always do comedy. Well, mm-hmm. this is like perfect David Lynch mad cappery i thought it was funny i did too that's what i'm saying it's like he he tries to then he's like the guys you can tell there's some sort of smug professionalism like a man i'm good at my hitman job Mm -hmm. he sort of wipes down the gun he puts it in the guy's hand to make it look like he killed himself he's like molding the guy's fingers around the trigger and then actually accidentally goes off (laughs) shoots through the wall and hits this poor woman in the next room she's like the secretary or something and she's like Something bit me. Yeah. (laughs) So then he has to wrestle her down, drag her back to that room, dispose of her as well. Except by the time he drags her out of her room, now a janitor's vacuuming down the hallway and sees them. And I love, there's this extended struggle between them. And she keeps like shouting what I assume I probably would shout if I were being attacked, which was just like, no, no. You know, she's just like (laughs) frantically being like, nah, sir. Um, she does not accept this. Yeah, so, but she does eventually get, you know, killed as well. Yes, um, and then he just sort of gives up trying to make this seem like a suicide. <laughs> right, he's like, and no. after he's killed three people and shot a vacuum, he finally <laughs> just, like, drops the gun and climbs out the window. Exactly. So, already we have so many different players. We've got Betty and Rita embarking on this mm-hmm. kind of mystery uh, to find out who Rita really is. We've got the down-and-out director and the mob and then other the shady hitman. characters. Oh, the cowboy? Or the hitman. Oh, the hitman. Yeah, yeah. and then there's the cowboy. Who... So, yeah, I'm. we jump back to Betty mm-hmm. and Rita. 
Rita is now ready to tell Betty she has no memory. All she has is this bag. And they sit down and go through the bag. And so what they find is stacks of cash, Mm -hmm. lots and lots of money, and they find a mysterious blue key. And they don't know what to do, so they just say, let's hide it. Yeah. And they put it in one of her aunt's, are they called pillboxes you put hats in? Hat box. Hat box. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was like, what are you talking maybe about? Maybe I made Sam? that up. I'm gonna. I'll double check that. It's like Shoda, so, Shoda, Soda Shop. You're just making up. Soda names. shops and pill boxes. <laughs> Shoda shop. The Shoda shop. <laughs> um, yeah. So they just they they don't know how to deal with it. Betty is so innocent, naive. She's seems really as though she's never encountered anything gritty before, mm-hmm. right? So and she's, she's like, let's put it away, hide it, and then we're gonna like Nancy drew the shit out of this. Oh yeah. Golly, we're going to call the cops and ask if there was an accident and Mm -hmm. then go to an apartment and like all sorts of stuff. Right. So, yeah. um, Yeah. She's super lame. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we let's see. I'm trying to figure remember the scene of this. So then we get the scene of a psychic just showing up outside their house. Oh, she knocks on the door. Yeah, Yeah. And says, I'm a psychic. And she just tells Betty that someone here is in danger. Mm-hmm. And I know they're in danger. Also, I want to put a screenshot of this up on the the show notes because I'm fascinated by this shot. You don't realize they're talking through a screen door oh, until I didn't Coco it. opens it briefly to hand her something and closes it. But the proportions are so wide. Oh. Like it is it is way too wide to be a normal screen door. And so it actually it's a screen, but it's proportionally looks much more like a movie screen. I did not and it's notice very this, interesting. Sam. Good eye. I did not see this part. Or did did not pick up on it. So. Yeah. Okay. And then do you want to talk about the um uh Justin Thoreau visiting the cowboy? Yeah, so this is I don't know how to explain the cowboy. I kind of love him though. He's, you know, in trouble, and his assistant tells him, well, this guy named, like, called the cowboy, said to meet him at this corral, and maybe we'll solve some of your problems. So he drives up to this kind of abandoned corral, and this mysterious cowboy figure says, basically, you need to get in line with this hire, or this casting issue. You need to have Camilla Rhodes in your movie, and everyone else you can keep. Right. Um, And he has this really interesting line where he says, uh, if you do good, you'll see me one more time. If you do bad, you'll see me two more times. Right. And so you're like, it's a good line. Yes. (laughs) So basically you get the impression that at this point, Adam has decided to play along that he's like, okay, like all like they've taken my money and they've like, you know, they could like trash my project. So. I'm just going to, you know, have this Camilla Rhodes, Rhodes in this main role. I'll just do it. Yeah. Yeah. And so then we finally get to some sort of intersection between Betty and Rita and this director. So Betty is splitting her time between trying to solve the mystery of what's happened to Rita. Mm-hmm. So she's like donning. She she calls in anonymously to the police to find out if there was a car accident yeah. on the home drive. <laughs> And she says, come on, Rita, it'll be just like the movies. We'll pretend to be someone else. She finds out there was a car accident, but not too much more. And then Rita remembers the name, which Diane Diane. Selwick? Selwyn? Selwyn. Selwyn, I think. Yeah. And they find a single Diane Selwyn in their phone book, and they plan 
to go and meet her and find out what they can. Mm-hmm. But first, she has to go to her audition. Betty's got to wow the old people, essentially. Yeah, it that is was this, an old room. That It was so weird. So um, Betty, through her aunt, already has connections in Hollywood. Um, and she goes to this audition that takes place in a tiny office. and Lots of wood paneling. Lots of wood paneling. And so you've got the... Um, Older male co-star in this room. <laughs> like, old, old. Old male co-star. <laughs> the old director, and then the, or not director, producer, and then you've got the director in the Who's corner. Who's not paying attention at all. Who does not give a shit about what's going on. Maybe the mobs coerce him into choosing her, too. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, and this famous casting director, who isn't as old and is a woman, so... Um, but Betty, so she's practiced this scene with Rita before, and she played it kind of over the top and reactionary. Yeah, sort um, of like, like a again, it was like played in a very naive, almost like childish way, which is like, my dad's just upstairs; he could come <laughs> down, you know, like a child. Like she, she took a page from the nurse in Straight Story. Yeah. Um, on acting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so- then she gets the audition. And she feels the mood, and she really pulls it off in a slow, much more... Like, um, sultry, sexual yeah. sort of way. Yeah, and I mean... Some mature sort of... It is legitimate good acting in yeah. that moment. It's very it's very impressive. I mean, she wows everyone, including this casting director, who says, like, honey, this movie is never going to be made. Come across the street, because I guess that's how Hollywood yeah. works. <laughs> I don't know. Um She's but, a casting director. She's a consultant. She's got her hands in lots of yeah, pies. Yeah, so she just like she's like come across the street to this um this other director's also, uh, shoot. What was your take on that whole scene when she's sort of being taxied via the director to the other set, and the director says to her assistant, "She's like, we both know, like that old guy. He's never gonna get a movie <laughs> off the ground." And Betty's like, "He seemed really nice, and that's yeah. really mean." Yeah. And then she had to be like, "Um, Betty, sometimes people talk shit about people in their own industry, like." <laughs> Welcome to the world. Like, right. I was just like, have you ever made friends before, Betty? Like, <laughs> yeah, they're um, so you shouldn't talk kissy. like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, <laughs> like, and well, and bridge too far. the casting director or casting person's assistant is so like hip and cool. Yeah, right. And I mean, well, I kind of. Which is like such a necessary contrast to like jog my memory and be like, oh, right, this is a 21st century film. I know, because everyone is so kind of, I mean,. <laughs> 50s-ish, yeah. right? Including, to some extent, the hairstyles. Yeah. Um, and, you Including know. your hairstyle? Oh, damn it. <laughs> Sam! <laughs> okay. True confession time. Let's let's slow it down a bit and Let's confess. bring down the lights. So, I watched Mulholland Drive, and I felt, at the time, that Naomi Watts was super cute. And at the As fight, she is. Well, she is. But, um... At the time, meaning a month ago, right? <laughs> so I went to the salon and I asked for the Naomi Watts haircut. <laughs> and good Lord, did it look awful it looks on great. me. <laughs> it looks great. I just thought it was so funny that you're like, make me look like Naomi Watts. <laughs> and there was some confusion because I was talking about getting a haircut from this movie and like you initially thought I meant Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> no, because Ryan like, joked that you showed him a picture of Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> but you believed it. That's what Well, was it's weird. more that I just need clarification of what you two are talking about. <laughs> the way I, I also believe it. there was a Billy Zane cover band. 
or that Billy Zane joined a rock band. Oh, and released an album called Purple Zane. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've been susceptible as of late. You, you're quite gullible. So, Katie has a Billy Ray Cyrus haircut, and Billy Zane is doing Purple Zane. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, R.I.P. Yeah. Any, yeah. Oh goodness. So R.I.P. My beautiful haircut initially before this one and Billy Zane. So. so eventually she makes it over to Justin Thoreau's um uh, set mm-hmm. and they they lock eyes a couple times and You're the director's like, clearly interested or he's intrigued by her. Yeah. And yeah. then right when they might have a possibility of like meeting or being introduced, Camille Rhodes shows up. He knows it's the girl he's ha- obligated to hire. And then Betty remembers that she has to meet Rita. Mm-hmm. And he says again, this is the girl. Yeah. So there it is. It's it's, it's a done deal. Yeah. And so she runs off. And so they're... Betty uh, runs off. Yeah. They're, right. they're just ships passing in the night. Ah, okay. So now we're really... The, the mystery now is sort of ratcheting up, right? Because mm-hmm. then they get to this sort of like uh, these apartment courts or something. I don't know what you'd call it. A courtyard. Yeah. Um, yeah where Diane Selwyn should live. And mm-hmm. and so, yeah, and so Rita and Betty now are trying to find out, you know, if Rita is Diane. They don't think she is, but, like, if she is... No, right. they do think she is, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, they think that could be um, her. Or if it's just someone who knows who she yeah. is, etc. So they go to an apartment, an apartment that's listed in the phone book, I guess, and this lady's like, we switched apartments, so you've got to, like, go find Diane in another one in this same, like, yeah. courtyard. Um, so clearly Rita is not Diane. But then, so they knock on this door to Diane's new apartment, and no answer, but Betty climbs through a window. So intrepid. I know. <laughs> it is golly. so Nancy Drew, though. I know. Golly, She's like, give me a boost, I'll unlock the door. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um... So she op- she un- opens the door for Rita, but then what do they find? A dead rotting corpse. <laughs> <laughs> Golly, a dead rotting corpse. Well, but also <laughs> Betty suddenly gets steely in this moment. Mm-hmm. Like she's like Rita, you need to shut the fuck up because we are in a pinch. <laughs> and then so she like covers Rita's mouth when she tries to scream. Yeah. And they have to stay quiet when that neighbor comes to check up on them. Right. And then sneak out without being seen. Yeah. So that they're not incriminated somehow. Exactly. There's a lot going on, but essentially there's there's a gross dead body of Diane Selwyn on the bed. Like anyone would do in such a traumatic traumatic situation. They go home and get it on. Yes, exactly. So, which I honestly, the first time watching this movie, I had no sense of any sort of erotic connection. But on a second watch, even when Rita and Betty first meet, there's a lot of touching and a lot of kind of, um, which you first might read as like just innocent, like girl sympathy, but it becomes clear second watch that it's, that it is leading up to this moment. That intimacy is definitely there in some form. Yeah. 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 And so what happens? Do you hear that? Yeah, that's a loud bird. bird. <laughs> Go away, bird. <laughs> so um, they declare their love for one another. Right. Um, while having sex, mm-hmm. right? And it's kind of a funny moment because Betty says, like, I've never done this before. Have you? And Rita's like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. She's like, Earth to Betty. <laughs> Like, I'm, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. <laughs> <laughs> so then in the middle of the night, Rita suddenly wakes up and says, 
we have to go somewhere. Will you come with me? Yeah. Well, she's talking in her sleep and she's like, silencio. Yeah. Yeah. No, I banda. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's 2 a.m. And they have to rush to this theater space. Uh, And this scene is so amazing. Oh, I agree. It is one of the, my favorite movie scenes of all time. I think Mm -hmm. it's so good. Yeah. This is like, also it crystallizes again. Like it telegraphs the twist and thematically just like, uh, it's, it clarifies like what David Lynch is sort of getting at here because mm-hmm. we have this band leader come up and say, I'm not going to pretend to remember with the Spanish for this, but he says, there is no band. Yeah. You will hear the music and you will imagine a band, but there is no band. It's all an illusion. It's, it's all, all illusion, technology. all recorded. Mm-hmm. He's telling them explicitly, you can look around and see there's clearly no band. He even like pretends to play the trumpet and then moves it away from his mouth while mm-hmm. the trumpet sounds still playing. Oh yeah. And it's wonderful because mm-hmm. in one sense it is again foreshadowing um Betty's capacity for self-deception. Mm-hmm. Right. Or for buying into a sort of fantasy that she's creating for herself. But it is also this wonderful. It's a love letter to movies and a weird sort of uh, indictment at the same time about our own like capacity for self-delusion. That, sure. Yeah. Like even as a viewer, like the moment he stops reminding me, I instantly forget. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm like, no, no, he's playing the trumpet. And no, she's singing. Right. Um, even though the funniest part is that that's all added in post-production. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? I, so even the actors performing it aren't actually even like lip syncing along to music necessarily. I love this too, because it is so Shakespearean as well. Because, oh. you know, um, Shakespeare, of course, bare stage. Um, oh. There were no, you know, there's no setting, no attempt at yeah. verisimilitude. And yet... Um, and he constantly does that kind of like meta theatrical thing where he's like, um, this, you know, bear stage, he doesn't say bear stage, but he says like, oh, I wish that I on this bear stage, B-E-A-R stage, bear stage, <laughs> there is a bear in Shakespeare yeah. in the winter's tale. Um, but that, you know, this is, oh, we wish that we had real horses on stage and this yeah. is not Agincourt. This is not, you know, France, something like that. Um, but he kind of delights in the like the bareness of it. Then we have this incredible scene where this woman comes and starts performing this amazing song. I know, it's so it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's incredible. And Betty and Rita are so moved by it that they're like openly weeping. Mm-hmm. And then mid-song, the woman collapses. Yeah. And the song continues. And you're reminded that everything you watched that was so convincing and compelling as a... Uh, this pure expression of feeling and personal emotion was just a complete illusion. Yeah. <laughs> that you've been complicit in this lie. Right. And so as a viewer of this film, you know, I kind of felt like disappointed in myself after that scene yeah. too. Cause I was like, I really, really bought into it, you know, or like I just became so entranced by the illusions and, you know, we're at, one remove from Betty and Rita, but still, yeah. You well, and also, after she collapses, you suddenly realize how sort of I don't mean this in a, a shallow way, but sort of bony and possibly like ill she looks, and that she mm. collapsed on stage. And all of a sudden, Did I was she like, die? I was like, I don't know, they drag her off stage, and then I suddenly realized, well, this is sort of. I think a, a metaphor for like David Lynch's Hollywood, right? Where we like happily candy coat or, you know, color over mm-hmm. a lot of misfortune about that industry and that world, right? Yeah, yeah. So then the 
purse or the bag is somehow with them, Mm -hmm. uh, Betty and Rita, Rita reaches in and all of a sudden there's a blue box (gasps) that seems to correspond to the the blue key. box, yes. And so they're like, this is weird. Let's go home and open the box. She takes the pill box from the closet. (laughs) I don't know why you're calling it a pill box. This is is baffling me. This must be a northern thing. I've never heard of pill box. Like, why would it be called a pill box? No, I'm Googling now. (laughs) But, so Rita takes down the box from the closet and Betty's gone. She's disappeared. And she's, she's speaking in Spanish too, which is interesting. Because, you know, you get the sense that like, well, maybe... Uh, that's a bigger part of her personality than she's actually revealed. And later, when when Rita is Camilla... Um, oh, I'm so sorry. A pillbox is a type of hat. It's not a <laughs> box for hats. <laughs> okay. On our show notes, we just have like a hat A picture box. of, yeah, let's do And it. then like a pillbox. Not a... It's not a pillbox. It's <laughs> <Sine> Basel pillbox. <laughs> okay, so we're... Where was I? Oh, yeah. So she's unlocking the box. She's unlocking the box. Gets, And then we get sucked in, right? Mm-hmm. And that's it. Like, it's just, like, loud noises. Smoke. Black. Yes, smoke. And then where do we where do we go? Back to Diane Selwick's bed. Except that rotting corpse is no longer a rotting corpse. It's, it's Naomi Watts. Whoa! Just waking up, looking <laughs> super fucking cranky. Yes, and she looks rough, dude. Her haircut's, like, more jagged. Yeah. And it's it even looks like her hair is made to look like it's dyed blonde now or something. And like, her like it's... teeth look unclean, too. Mm-hmm. There's just, like... And she has bags in her eyes, and she just... She looks like she's not having a great spate of time. She looks like, yeah. Uh, she's falling some hard times. She walks out, and a bunch of stuff is boxed up. And knock on the door. Who's knocking? But that neighbor we saw earlier. That bitchy neighbor. Turns out... It's her ex. They just broke up. Wait, how, how do you know it's her ex? Because she said I came to get the last of my stuff. Oh, but no, they're trading apartments. They're trading apartments. Never mind, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and then she gets last of her stuff and leaves and says, by the way, those two detectives are still looking for you. Dun, dun, dun. So and are I'm making the, the connection two, now. The two did she, No, no, did she change... Apartments to evade the detectives? I think so. Okay, did not make that... Con- oh. Well, because I didn't realize that had happened in real life. I thought that oh. was... Okay. Yes. I think that's why she did. And we're yeah. going to come back to those two detectives and why they might be pursuing her. Okay. As we learn more about what's going on with this version of Naomi Watts. As we spoil the shit out of this movie. Yeah. So, <laughs> then, What was that noise? <laughs> um, I'm just, like, trying to find my notes. So, the twist is... Betty is actually Diane Selwick. Diane. And Rita... Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, go for it. Rita is actually a very successful actress named Camilla Rhodes. Yeah. And so what we get then is like another... A couple of things. One is another deconstruction of a Hollywood sort of glitzy myth, right? Mm -hmm. This is the sort of failed version of All About Eve, right? Yes. Where like a young ingenue wants to cling to a successful actress Mm-hmm. And, like, eventually replace her or possess her in some way. Well, and possession and then, here is very erotic. Yeah, right. Course. And then it's, it's impossible that instead all that happens is that Diane is just witness to someone else's success as mm-hmm. she increasingly fails more and more. And so, 
do you think that they actually had a relationship? Um, yes. Okay. So because I thought for a while I wasn't sure if she was fantasizing about a relationship, but I mm-hmm. I think yes. Okay. And there, of course, there's the Naomi Watts masturbation scene oh, also. Well, I called it Christurbation. Oh, it's so hard <laughs> to watch. Because she's openly, like, sobbing. Yes. And she's, yeah, it's, it is so hard to watch that part. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so you think that they actually, Cam- uh, Camilla and Diane, have had sex. and Yeah, yeah. because... She- doesn't Di- uh, uh, Camilla at one point say, like, we can't do this anymore right. or something? And, and so. She, and Diane is like, it's because of him. Yeah, it? exactly. And she means the director, Adam. Who so, is... Adam still cheated on by his wife. Because mm-hmm. he his makes a joke. He's like, just... I got the pool. She got the pool boy. <laughs> <laughs> and now he is free to commit himself to Camille. Then we get to a scene in which it is now Diane in the car driving down Mulholland Drive. The mm-hmm. car stops at the same place and we think, oh shit, she's yeah. going to get shot in the face. But and no. she says, what are you doing? We don't stop here. We don't here. stop here. But then it's... Uh, <laughs> Camille taps on the window. In a Maybe. sexy dress. She shows up. I don't yeah. know if she taps on the window. And she takes her down this secret path to this to Adam's yeah. place. Well, and you don't know where they're going at first, and she's like, mm-hmm. it's a shortcut. And she leads her in this very tender, beautiful, sort of like... Right. What's the... Never mind. What's the word for, like, foresty? Isn't it like Sylvanic Sylvan? or Sylvan way? Yeah, Sylvan. And, yeah, but then it turns out they just arrive at a standard Hollywood house. Yeah, there's and a pool yeah. and champagne. And... and then Adam in front of... To, comes up to both of them and gives them champagne glasses and then just clinks to Camille and says like clink clink here's to love mm-hmm. and then Diane does <laughs> the most awkward thing where the shit like thrusts her hand forward and clinks Camille's glasses like here's to love too you know? <laughs> yeah. and it's like uh, me. exactly and, and then, this party is just torture for her oh can I say really quick uh, too yeah. that then Coco comes out Coco in the imagined world of the first two thirds of the movie oh you was, just showed your hand too by the way oh yeah I I'm happy to commit to that, (laughs) was the landlady of her Uh aunt's condo. Mm -hmm. Now Coco is Adam's mom. Right. And she's pissed because she is hungry as fuck and wants to eat. And she's like, can we eat now? Yeah. And then (laughs) Betty's just like, I'm sorry, I'm late. (laughs) You know, it's just like, it's just this great, like, also like dreamlike moment, but also like for me and probably for you, like a real moment where you're like, oh, fuck, I messed up (laughs) in public. It's like when I get, when I get shunned at parties and you somehow always (laughs) witness this. Um, So just a side story. Um, Twice in my life have I been like, Attempting to make conversation. Very enthusiastically attempting to, like... (laughs) Because I'm incredibly charming, of course. And so the first time, I was standing with you and two other people, and I started telling a story that you had heard before, so this was not for your benefit. And the other two people just, like, nodded and then, like... Turned away. away. And just walked away. (laughs) And then I was like, no, no, keep going. I want to hear it again. And I was like, see, there's no fucking point you've heard this shit. And, like, you've just, like, witnessed the most embarrassing moment. <laughs> that was very rude on their part. And then I wouldn't internalize that. The, the last, or the second one was Just more recent. Two weeks where, ago. Um, and we've talked about seat saving, right? So, yeah, oh, on this very podcast. Yes, so now I want to revise my thing and say, like, you are always a dick if you are seat saving yeah. hardcore. Because there's this group of people, and I walked up, and I was like, can I sit here? Um, You're like, hey, everyone, can I sit down? Can yeah. I join you? And... 
all of them in unison. Yeah, we're just like, no, this dude is sitting here. And it was just the meanest, like, like, high school. Yeah, like, this is saved for Michael. I changed his name to protect his privacy, but... Thank goodness. And you were just, like, you look so stunned because you had this huge, bright (laughs) smile on your face, and you were like... And oh. I turn and oh. Sam once again <laughs> is just, just dying. like <laughs> he's like, how does this happen to you, Katie? <laughs> so then I just like stand behind you ashamedly. No, I was defiant at that point. I was like, no, I'm just gonna stand here mm-hmm. by you and tell you a story that you've already heard again. So. Yeah. So what we could say is you you got Diane. Mm-hmm. In a big way. I've been Diane before, and I think a lot of people have, but... Um, it's, if you have, tell us all about yeah, it. Yeah, let us know. The Obsession Digression at gmail.com. <laughs> um, so then it's... Diane has to go into that party mm-hmm. and sit there knowing that she is now hungrily pining for a woman that does not... And she's has moved on. clearly at the, like, uncool table. Like, it's the mom and, like, some other... Yeah, like, she has to kind of look dude. down the long table to even see Camille. Yeah. And also the cowboy is at the party. Yeah. Just the one more time. And so is the, the fake Camille Rhodes, played by... What's her name? Melissa George, I think I looked oh, it up. yeah, yeah. And I... there's this great Lost Highway connection. So C- Coco is like, well, I'm pl- I've got to play hostess to this, like, pathetic young woman. Mm-hmm. She's like, so tell me your story. And then uh, Diane's like, well, I won a jitterbug contest, and now I'm an actress, <laughs> and things haven't really panned out yet. Mm-hmm. And then Coco just sort of, like, gives her a half-hearted smile, reaches over, and just pats her hand twice, uh-huh. which is this humiliating gesture. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's... A- a perfect echo of that scene in Lost Highway where Bill Pullman is trying to like please his wife, mm-hmm. Patty Arquette, um, and she's is when she's a brunette early on, yeah, and um, when he finishes, she they're having sex. I oh, don't know. I'm oh. sorry. I really I like, like what dropped are the bomb. That talking about they're boning. <laughs> yeah. Say it, Sam. Boning. Yeah, and so when he comes, then, <laughs> <laughs> she just looks like. Her face is totally unaffected, and she just pats him on the back twice. Oh, this like I know soft like two about. pat, and it's like I, I it gave me chills. Well, like she I also shuddered. says like it's okay. Yeah, it's pat, okay. Pat, pat. Yeah, and so, so there's a perfect sort of echo of that moment yes. where it's, you really have not validated yourself as a interesting human, but yeah. you know, good job, Diane. So how do we get from? I forget. How do we get from Diane at the party to Diane at home? Well. It's this is how we get there is that we're talking we're watching Diane talk more about herself and pine after Camille and we're starting to realize like oh she's not well like this isn't mm-hmm. just the woman who is sort of heartbroken like mm-hmm. she's not in a good place like we she should seek some some real medical attention right then we suddenly see her back at Winkies Winkies now talking to the hitman that we met Way back at the beginning of the movie. The sloppy hitman. Who sloppy hitman. Shot the woman through the wall. Yes. Who she is now paying mm-hmm. to kill Camille. And again, sorry to like harp on this, but she shows a picture of Camille. Yeah, right. Uh, I think it's Camilla, but not oh. Camille. Um, and says, this is the girl. <laughs> we pronounce it many different ways. Yeah. Because I'm cares? saying Camille and you're like Camille. <laughs> Camille. <laughs> Camille. So- <laughs> Am I doing a country thing again? Is I don't that the know. problem? It actually sounds like a New York thing. Oh. Camille. Camille. <laughs> I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll yeah. work on it. But, um. uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, we now that, that dream, those dream stacks of money in the bag are actually the stacks of money that she's gotten to pay the hitman to kill Camille. Yes. And the hitman says, once you give me that money, you can't take it back. Mm-hmm. 
And actually, this is just random, but one web theory surmises that uh, when he kills that agent, mm-hmm. that that uh, casting agent or whatever that guy does yeah. with the long, greasy brown hair, that I, that's actually just a dream vision of him actually killing Camille. Oh. Right? Like, she in her mind had to, like, <laughs> replace it. Uh, that's kind of a stretch. Uh, yeah, I'm not but... saying I buy into it, but it was fun. Yeah. Okay, so, so then we see the... I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, you're fine. Last thing is he then holds up a blue key. Mm-hmm. Looks a lot like that key from her the first two thirds of the movie and says, Uncanny. when you receive this key, you'll know it's done. And in that first... Uh, not first scene, but after the box was opened and we jumped to this new world... Mm-hmm. And she looks like sort of grungy in bed and gets up and answers the door. She looks over and sees the blue key yes. is on the table. So this Haunting this her. other this second reality is achronological, and we find out right. now that that means then that at that point he had had her he had killed Camille successfully. Right. And then that sort of explains why she has that vision of Camille in the room and is like, "You came back." Oh yeah, and she's and so like, laudatory. No, where she's it's just like, a dream. You drive me wild. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's clearly a fantasy. Yeah. So then... And now to your favorite characters. Oh, the old people? Yeah. <laughs> what are they doing? And, like, I love this. So then we get to... Diane is tortured by her her guilt and yeah. commissioning Camille's murder. Um, and <laughs> just, like, flips the fuck out, right? But then she's chased around. She like, hallucinates, I guess? Or whatever. I have no idea. By two crazy old people. The two from the airport. Yes. And they're, like, just, like, trying to attack her or, like, laughing. It's very unclear. It's very hectic. Yeah. And she has to, like, escape them, so she... This is also while the detectives have tracked her down and are banging on her door. Yeah. So she just... Sh- she shoots yeah. herself. Um, so, but what are those old people doing? Some people theorize that they were like her parents or like, you know, these like benign figures that are just like disappointed in her for becoming evil. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and there's also, again, this, so this was sort of born out of Twin Peaks, you know, genetics, I guess, in the mm-hmm. way. And that. <laughs> I almost said garbage monster. It could also just be like a really poor homeless woman oh. who lives behind the Winkies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she's never explained, and she may or may not be real. Mm-hmm. And at one point, we see the two old people um, in re- with really bad CGI like crawl out of this crumpled paper bag oh, at her right. feet. And so maybe like we have a different sort of like Bob and Mike mythology going on in LA, where these are some sort of these are representatives of some sort of weird spirit world too. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I have no idea. It's very unclear. So, but they drive her to suicide. Yeah, this is totally unrelated. But apparently, um, Ludacris recently paid CGI for his abs, or like he <laughs> bought CGI abs essentially. And for what? For like a specific video? Or? Yeah. Okay. And just to like look very. Because why not? Well, because everyone found out about it, and they're like mocking him. Well, we can't all beat D'Angelo. Yeah. Okay, so. <laughs> So I just think it's funny that Ludacris is like, yeah, I'll, I'll buy that. I'll buy some CGI apps. Add to cart. <laughs> if he's anything like me, he does a quick search for promo codes. Yeah. And then... <laughs> Groupon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, then the other thing that made me laugh, though, after she kills herself, we get this, like, montage of, like, a happier time mm-hmm. when her and... Camila were just young and in love, but it's all flashbacks to the fantasy world. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, but Did that. this is not 
real. Right. <laughs> so it's not moving me, I think, in the way you want it to move me. I mean, the the ending is incredibly depressing. Oh, yeah. And um, you're left with, like, a very bleak understanding of Hollywood, I think. And that's, that's the, like, that for me is kind of the main takeaway I, is I, that. Totally. That there is. This industry just, like, sucks the life out of everyone. And it's just so much more twisted than we even realize. And that it's not even hidden. Mm-hmm. It's that we willingly blind ourselves to Mm -hmm. you know to this like stark stark reality that's so evident like we'd much rather just be complicit in this illusion yeah oh yeah definitely so Mm -mm -mm. that's a lot of um it's a lot going on but it's so delightful and um gives you gives you some thinking to do. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and now, as you said, there are so many theories mm-hmm. online. So I'm not going to go through them because there are just, there's seriously dozens. There is one site called Maholland-Drive.net, which we'll link to on our show notes, mm-hmm. that tries to collate all of them. Oh, so it's like a handy list of mm-hmm. all the different And theories. they're filed under different categories. For instance, there's dream and reality. All dream, all real, <laughs> metaphysical explanation, etc. But Katie, this is our last lunch episode. We're I have found a Reddit back and forth that can top beef pie soup. Oh no! It's long, so everyone, if you gotta like refill your coffee or something, do it now. Okay, this is so exciting. So I'm gonna play the part of username curbside, curbside. spelled with a Q. You're going to play the part of all the respondents to curbside. Okay. All right. So are there quite a few? Yeah, this is long. All right. So this is a Reddit post titled, I know this is film blasphemy, but I really thought Mulholland Drive sucked. (gasps) Curbside. Yeah. He writes, I've been trying to watch almost every good thriller released over the past 20 years. I recently got into thrillers a couple of years back, having previously stuck to my guns with horror and action for so long. Right near the top of the list was Mulholland Drive. I had high expectations given how highly it is rated almost everywhere. And then I watched it. (laughs) It was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. I thought I missed something. I thought there was a part of the movie that just didn't click with me. So I did a bit of research and it turns out it was apparently going to be a TV show that got changed to only be a feature film. And the director just kind of botched the second half. Rude. This is. I'm gonna try and get through this without laughing. I'll try to explain it in an example that won't spoil the movie for people like me that have never watched it and will eventually get around to it. <laughs> Scene: A lady pours a can of milk into a bowl. A guy opens the front door and says, "Quote: I have bananas for sale," and proceeds to drip honey on himself. She turns back to the bowl of milk and says, "Quote: I love you." <laughs> This well, is not in no. the movie, right? While the above example is not related to the plot in any, <laughs> in any way other than the confusion it brings on. But then you get these internet reviews that try to make heads or tails of the gibberish with reviews like, quote, Oh, you just didn't get it. By bananas, he means he has love to give. The honey represents a shell that he hides behind because he's afraid. As a result, she doesn't think he loves her and finds comfort in the arms of another milk. <laughs> And then he closes, no crazy art house people, the movie just sucked. There's nothing to take away from it, and I'm disappointed that so many people were duped into liking the nonsense for something that it wasn't. Does anyone else feel the same way, or am I alone in this? (laughs) Okay, so this is my part, right? Uh So BD Crick 4, check the critics on Rotten Tomatoes. 
It is their job to articulate what they liked or don't like about a movie. It really isn't all that confusing of a film, though. It's about the Hollywood dream versus its nightmarish reality. That's part of Lynch's style. He likes to look at the deep, uh, gritty recesses of society. He likes to pull away from the facade. Take Blue Velvet, for instance. In the opening, the town in which the film is set in appears to be a pleasant, wholesome town. But once you really start looking at it, you begin to notice the gritty underbelly. You're looking at Mulholland Drive from the standpoint of a film that falls within the typical Hollywood paradigm. Some films are meant to be experienced instead of read. Watch it again, and don't pay attention to the plot um, and where it is going, but instead pay attention to the experience derived from each scene. Curbside. If you go to Rotten Tomatoes, wouldn't in-depth reviews about what they like and don't like take away from the story <laughs> or any plot twists? And then B.D. Crick says, not really, especially for something like Mulholland Drive. The movie isn't about any plot twist or a story in the typical sense. It's about the experience. It's about the journey and not the destination. Curbside. Yeah, but you wouldn't know if a movie didn't contain a plot twist unless you saw it. In 99% of cases, in-depth reviews can ruin movies. <laughs> that is a mute point for this situation, considering you've already seen the movie and the reviews <laughs> will not reveal anything. You also didn't need to read an in-depth review to discover why the critic enjoyed the film. The RT critic quotes should suffice. Curbside. No, you're missing the point. <laughs> I asked for a good review website. Ignore MD for... That's Mulholland Drive for a minute here. <laughs> I just want a site that accurately rates quality movies. You said Rotten Tomatoes. People explain what they do and don't like about movie stories. I don't look for reviews of movies I've already seen because at that point I can already tell if I liked it or not. <laughs> the other guy said he reads reviews first and then watches. My concern was if you read an in-depth review before watching movies, it would <sighs> ruin the movie in a sense. Oh my god! So we've gotten far away from yes. Mahan Drive's uh, a sensible suckiness. Um, so BD Crick 4 says, you're getting review and analysis mixed up. A review is just a succinct description detailing what it is about a movie that works or doesn't work. It is the acting, cinematography, directing, score, etc. A review shouldn't be any longer than one page. Go to RT Rotten Tomatoes, pick a movie, read some reviews from the top critics. Pick one that you like and seek him, her out anytime you question the quality of a movie before seeing it. Curbside. Ah, right. My apologies. <laughs> My apologies. What a tame And so we ending. think, is Curbside, is he turning a corner? Is he growing? Like, did this then, venture into Mulholland Drive. Then Forever Mozart enters the scene. Oh, no. Forever Mozart shows up. So my Forever Mozart? Mozart? Yeah. Okay. So stick to Marvel or Transformers. Marvel. Marvel. <laughs> Marvel. <laughs> It's not, it's not the ice cakes. cream. <laughs> Marvel. I don't know why I thought, like, okay. Um, Forever Mozart says, stick to Marvel or Transformers if apparently surrealism is too hard to engage with for you. <laughs> Curbside responds with this masterpiece. Mm. Have you ever had caviar? It tastes like shit. <laughs> it's more of a texture than a taste. Tiny little bubbles that pop in your mouth. Caviar is seen as expensive and seen as an item of choice by people with good taste. That's not to say that people with good taste don't like caviar. To me, though, caviar will always just be a texture, <laughs> not a food group, <laughs> which no one's debating. Yeah, I don't think Much like this movie, just because I don't like it doesn't mean I lack a deeper understanding. For the record, I fucking hate superhero movies, <laughs> but whatever you say, Forever Mozart. Good thing Lynch isn't a bourgeoisie director. 
Well, the fact that you're getting bewildered that there's surreal scenes in a surreal movie prove that you're not interested in having a deeper understanding of it, and apparently saying that there's nothing to take away from it. Well, if mainstream action movies and surreal mysteries freak you out, I can't imagine what's in between that you like. Mediocre middle-brow movies? <laughs> so snooty! I know. Curbside, I don't know. You tell me. Clearly someone that loves classical music and surreal movies is clearly leaking culture. <laughs> you tell me what music and cinema I'm allowed to enjoy as a mere simpleton. Why not suggest meals for me, too? Maybe some yerba mate and duck terrine. You're trying too hard. Go grow a man bun on your man bun and start an activist group. Okay, man bun on top of man bun. I don't care that you don't like Mulholland Drive. That's fine. Uh, uh, what does bother me is that you refuse to engage with it and instead just drop some stupid cop-out that everyone who likes it is wrong. The Transformer comment wasn't meant as an insult. If surrealism is too much for you, stick to those movies then. If you don't have an argument left, you can save yourself some, some time and stop spamming my inbox with your schoolyard insults. Curbside. <laughs> Clearly, Transformers was meant as an insult along with almost everything else you have said, which doesn't make you much better than me if your response to an insult on a movie you like is attempting to talk down to me. That's like saying, quote, oh, you don't like lobster? Maybe try a Happy Meal at McDonald's. I don't mean that as an offense, by the way, <laughs> but I'll contradict myself by saying you have, quote, mediocre middle brow taste. Please get off your high horse. You sound like an entitled douche. <laughs> if you don't like surrealism, you're free to watch conventional narrative films. Nothing wrong with that. Transformers are good at that. Uh, and then he said he's responding to um, something that... The charge, yeah, the, the mediocre middle brow taste. And then he says, I never or said you did. I asked what you even liked. It's funny how you don't see any irony in this when you post this. And then he... Um, he quotes the, like, description and says, yeah, that sounds like an entitled douche to me. <laughs> Curbside, maybe if you don't like Marvel films, you would like Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> he says, no, both look boring. Curbside, what happened to not writing everybody off? Maybe you just don't understand the underlying stories the directors were trying to portray. <laughs> I've made no claims on either being bad films, only that it has all the appearances of being mediocre and boring. For all I know, both franchises may be fantastic, but I doubt I'll ever find out, and I'm personally okay with that. Curbside. In all seriousness, and no offense, but do you feel like you are driven by advertising in your movie-watching decisions? <laughs> what do you mean? As in reviews as such? There's like four to five critics I listen to, but if the director interests me or the premise looks good, I'll go and watch it. Curbside. Where do you get your reviews from? <laughs> New York Times, New Yorker, Village Voice, AB Club, etc. Scene. <laughs> that was so we see a dial way up yes. and then just, just on a again. Well, drop of a head went to um, internet um, counseling like we're going to start our business right alright so. I'm going to bookmark this page these could be our first clients because <laughs> um, clearly there's a range there's a roller but what coaster a wild ride what a crazy crazy as you said we went through multiple movies we discussed different review sites mm -hmm. we discussed caviar and happy meals yeah Whew. i'm kind of hungry now <laughs> i know actually i was like mm, fries 
Um, okay, so... So, we're at the end now. What are your final thoughts on David Lynch? Goodbye. I mean, obviously, we, we've done eight episodes. We could do another eight episodes. Yeah. There are plenty of films and short films and commercials that we didn't touch on. We didn't talk about his coffee or his oh, yeah. his uh, music albums. Well, we didn't we talk a lot about his art. Well, we have Twin Peaks that Yeah, we... we'll check back in after right. we've watched the new season. Yeah, so um, what's been most interesting for me is simply... Following a director's entire trajectory, right? Watching yeah. literally almost or almost everything you can by a single director. So it's it's been a kind of odd few months, right? Where every other film I see has to stack up to Lynch somehow, or sure. you know, my universe even because every other day I'm watching a Lynch film or rewatching yeah. Twin Peaks. So. Um, it's been really wonderful in that way, um, but also a little... I've kind of been so focused on Lynch that it's hard to even access other shows right now. So um, yeah, I, I get wonder that. if it's... You know, since we're so used to... Because we're in so deep. Yeah, we're, so, we're in so deep and we're so used to just picking kind of... Um, cherry picking, right? The films that we watch. So yeah, and so maybe that's thing. one of the merits of this podcast. Even if no one else benefits from it, like we, we're undergoing a, a really cool ride of a like transformative experience. We're willfully allowing ourselves to become <laughs> obsessed with different topics. I love it. So yeah. what about you, Sam? What what are your what are I your mean, thoughts? So if I'm reflecting on David Lynch now at the end of these eight weeks, two months. I would say that for me, David Lynch is the, the I, I go to Lynch now, or I think most fondly of him as someone who crafts amazing moments, mm, mm-hmm. right? Where he has these, he perfectly crystallizes like sort of just strange images that are sort of unforgettable or sequences that are unforgettable. Yeah. And so some of his movies, uh, like Blue Velvet, happen to be like scene by scene like mm-hmm. just perfect moments right and it just constitutes this amazing film and then other even even the films i care least about so even lost highway has a couple just amazing unforgettable scenes right and so i i that's sort of how i think about him that i don't necessarily need like coherence or for everything to come together into to crystallize into a whole you're um, always expecting that moment yeah like, those the fragmentary uh, elusive and illusory moments yeah, yeah. exactly Exactly. So like in Silencio, or is the club called Silencio? I don't know, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah those you're like anticipating, yeah, those kind of um, very enigmatic, very very Lynchian moments to slow down, I guess. Exactly, and so I I I'm coming away with great love for David Lynch, and Yay! also you know I think a much more complicated picture though. I mean we've discussed mm-hmm. all kinds of ways in which true you can deconstruct and take apart Lynch and so um his yeah misogyny, yeah perhaps yeah his depiction of women yeah exactly the, I mean the lack of almost any racial difference at all yeah this is um, also true yeah there's all kinds of stuff you can get at um and so yeah it's been thanks good. for the for a great first season Katie looking forward to season two I'm so excited can we preview season two let's do it okay so, so we're trying to jump to the whole other end of the spectrum yeah <laughs> Very, very. Instead of movies, we're doing books, and instead of David Lynch, who are we doing? Judy Bloom. Judy Bloom. (laughs) Have Um, you? I have not read any Judy Bloom. I got nothing. So this will be a new experiment because we both came to Lynch with 
Um, some background. Yeah, some background, probably more than a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and now, I mean, so many people have like been obsessed with Judy Bloom, and neither of us has That's any. That's funny. It is a real inversion, whereas... When I told people we were doing David Lynch, there are plenty of people I had to just even explain who that was in the first place. Whereas mm-hmm. we've told people we're doing Judy Bloom, and people have stuff to teach us about. Yeah, they're her. like, "Oh yeah, I remember reading the dirty one or the one about, mm-hmm. um, you know, master." Oh, you said masturbation. That's I just about- read one. Is yeah. So <laughs> okay. we're we're going to be looking specifically at um, a a bunch of her seventies. YA novels that each sort of tackle like a hot button issue that is sort of uh, something you wrestle with when you come of age. So the first one we're reading is Iggy's House, which is sort of about um, coming into awareness of uh, racism. Mm -hmm. And then other ones will be about divorce, (gasps) getting your period, masturbation. So we'll have all kinds of I think really fun reads. And this would be good prep for me if I like ever have children, especially a girl. I'll be like, you just, are you on your period? Here, here's a bloom on the table, Judy slide bloom. it over. Yeah. Um, so before we depart, what are you obsessed with this week, Sam? Um, well, I, so I have my carryover, my holdover from last week. Oh, right. But I have, I had two already I wanted to plug today. So because it's a finale, I'm going to double dip and recommend okay. two and push one to next week. Okay, cool. So the one I wanted to recommend last week is this film I saw called Farewell, My Queen. Mm-hmm. It's directed by Benoit Jacquot. I don't know if that's how you say his name. He's a French director. Okay. But it is told through the perspective of, I don't know what they're called in France. I, they're, they'd be like ladies in waiting, mm-hmm. right? Like attendants to the queen. So an attendant to Marie Antoinette. And these are in the days leading up to and around the storming of Bastille. Mm-hmm. So this is just like months before Louis and Marie are, are dethroned and imprisoned. Yeah. And so it's about the sort of slow fragmenting of, of, of Versailles. Okay. Um, where you see uh, people's alliances and loyalties to the monarch sort of crumble. And then this main character, though, is just steadfastly devoted to the queen. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's great because the direction, even if you don't like the story, like, the direction is amazing. Like, well, it gives this, it like... it sounds like my jam. Lived in, like, earthy, really human, bustling sense of Versailles. Yeah. And... The Marie Antoinette is not, you know, like in Sofia Coppola's version, mm-hmm. Kirsten Dunst, is, it's like about this young woman slowly coming into maturity. Mm-hmm. This one, like Marie Antoinette, is charismatic and magnetic, but totally petulant and self-serving. Uh, yeah. And there's a bunch of just a couple like really cutting like twists that mm-hmm. feel totally right. They don't come out of left field, but they really sort of uh, they leave a, a mark, I feel like. And, and it's it's really good. OK, um, I will check this so one there's out that. because that sounds like something yeah, I would I mean, love. I think you'd like it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm going to plug the part two of um, Netflix show, The Get Down. Oh, yeah. So the first part came out, I guess, over the summer. Mm-hmm. And it was okay. It was sort of a, a mess. I felt like I really liked the actors a lot. I thought they had a really great cast. And it was sort of like had a ton of energy, but didn't have a lot of focus. Mm-hmm. And the back half of the season just came out, the last five episodes. And it has much more focus. And to me, it seems like there's been a big jump in like quality and direction, that they're much more like thematically coherent. And I was really surprised by, like, by that last episode, how invested I was in the central, like, relationship and the struggles these kids are going through, just trying to live their lives. And I thought it was so good. And no one seems to be writing about it on the internet or watching it. And so my fear is, I mean, not really, I'm not, this is not keeping me up at night, but Mm -hmm. I wonder that people saw the first half of the season, were turned turned off, off, and now didn't bother going back. But finish out this season. 
Yeah. That's my 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 uh, plea. Keep with it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, mine um, is also a Netflix show. It's called Thirteen Reasons Why. Have oh, you heard of this? I've heard of it. Haven't seen it. It's it's a drama. It's very it's very dark. Um, and it's about this girl named Hannah Baker who commits suicide. Oh. And um, has been bullied and objectified and all sorts of problematic things, but she leaves behind these tapes, like these cassettes. Um that kind of attribute certain events or certain people as causes why leading up to her suicide. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, it's 13 Reasons Why I Killed Myself? Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, no. And it's so, it's really, it's fascinating, though, because this one kid was in love with her, um, and he has the tapes, but he, because he was in love with her, he can he can't really listen to them sure. all at once, you know? And yeah. so he's kind of undergoing this... Um, investigation and it's just it's heartbreaking but it's it's a really good show um, oh man yeah i'm gonna have to like steal myself before i watch that <laughs> yeah it's you need to be in a certain mood okay. when you watch those definitely but that's that's that what i did this past week great all right yeah <laughs> so three uh solid uh movie and tv recommendations so yeah, if you, you need go. something to watch you've got three options get to work but most Farewell, importantly my queen is on amazon prime and these two are on netflix cool but most importantly, you should keep up on your podcast game, i.e. keep listening to our Yeah, podcast. stick with us. Um, <laughs> subscribe and email us again, theobsessiondigression at gmail.com or leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think or what yes. uh, you think we should do or we should stop doing. Yeah. And um, yeah, so more next week as we uh, leave David Lynch behind and pick up with season two. Goodbye. So as always, though, this podcast is dedicated to the memory of Billy Zane. Yes. Goodbye. Season one and Billy Zane.